Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich, Civil War Talk Radio. As I speak to you right now, it's April in the year 2020, April 22nd, the fourth week of a shutdown caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Many of us have not left our homes more than a few times in the last several weeks. There's a temptation to wonder, is this some form of captivity? Tonight we'll discuss real captivity. In the book, Living by Inches, the smells, sounds, tastes, and feeling of captivity in Civil War prisons, Evan Kutzler applies a new technique to understanding what that life was like in the 1860s. We'll be back with Dr. Evan Kutzler in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, not from the usual headquarters in the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University, because ECU, like everyone else, is operating under different conditions. We're all working from home. Uh, That's where I am tonight. I hope that is where you are, staying safe, helping to flatten the curve of the coronavirus the uh, And while I'm not on campus at ECU, I'm also not speaking for ECU, wouldn't be even if I were on campus. And my guest likewise will speak only for himself, not for any other organization or cause or anything like that. That's how we always do it here at Civil War Talk Radio. First thing I want to say before anything else is thank you to a uh, number of listeners who have emailed to 
ask about how Emily is doing, Mrs. Civil War Talk Radio. She is uh, much better from her emergency appendectomy of a few weeks ago, up and about and walking around. Uh, she's been walking in circles around the backyard rather than going for walks in the neighborhood, just wanting to stay close to home for a little while. And we are theorizing this may be the origins of crop circles that you see discussed mysteriously in places around the world. People just walking around and around uh, while they get better from whatever ails them. The, the, the COVID-19 pandemic is the, the topic seems of every conversation. And so our, our topic show topic tonight is relevant to that. It is affecting the Civil War world in all kinds of ways. Uh, tours are canceled. Uh, people I see online are talking about how their spring semester plans are different. All the summer courses this summer will be online at, here at ECU and probably elsewhere. Uh, a good friend of the show, Tim Talbot, the education director at uh, Pamplin Park in Petersburg, Virginia, a wonderful place. Uh, tells me that they have, of course, had to cancel all the tours this past, this this current spring of school children, which are their big uh, visitation months when, when the children of Central Virginia come to visit the park, and normally there's one yellow bus after another this year, none, and that's caused them to have to lay off staff. It affects uh, that with no income, it's changed what they're doing, so the park is temporarily closed. Uh, it, it's tough all over. Uh, everybody is suffering from this. I'm finding the teaching online to become a, a more and more uh, challenging experience just technologically. Uh, I make little mistakes. I, today I recorded 30 minutes of a lecture till I realized I didn't have one of the settings correct and wasn't getting the right size picture or the right sound and had to re-record them and just assume that was a ignorance penalty that old boomer like me can make dealing with technology, but it's happening more frequently instead of less the more lectures I record. The novelty has worn off and it's becoming just a a chore and not having the feedback from the students to energize and to ask interesting questions makes it harder. So it's getting tough. but nothing like our topic today, and I want to bring in our guest, Dr. Evan Kutzler. Uh, well, let me quickly tell you who's coming on the show before I do that, because we have a new late edition. Next week will be the Civil War Talk Radio 500th episode. Never would have imagined that in 2004 when we started this. Uh, 500 episodes, Bert Dunkerley will be talking about the end of the war. He has a book called To the Bitter End. Appomattox, Bennett Place, and the Surrenders of the Confederacy. Uh, No show the week after that. It'll be final exams here at ECU. We'll come back on May 13th. Brian Lusky is the author of Men is Cheap, Exposing the Frauds of Free Labor in Civil War America. And we'll have another, not sure who's on May 20th, working that out. But more books in May, May 27th, Zachary Fry's book on the election of 1864 in the Army called Republic in the Ranks, and Chris Klein, When the Irish Invaded Canada on June 3rd. So lots coming up. Um, 
Evan Kutzler, our guest tonight. Evan, are you there? I am. Thank you for joining me. Sorry for us being a few minutes late coming on the air. I was, again, wrestling with the technology. My learning system would not close. We were using Canvas instead of Blackboard, just replaced it this year. And I couldn't get it to turn off, and it it, it, it took over the microphone, so uh, you couldn't hear me, and, and uh, Voice America couldn't hear me, and finally restarted everything, and here we are at last. So welcome to the show, and thank you for your patience. My pleasure. So let me start with uh, the title. You've written a book called Living by Inches, The Smells, Sounds, Tastes, and Feeling of Captivity in Civil War Prisons. Um, what does living by inches mean? So it's it's a playoff of a phrase that originated um, well, it didn't originate in the Civil War, but it was common in the Civil War. It's called dying by inches. Um, and it had its origins uh, in, in probably the 18th century. Uh, but it meant you know, dying unheroically, slowly, on a different scale than, say, on a battlefield. Um, and it, it was common, especially among prisoners. Um, and you know, it occurred to me that it was a useful metaphor for you know the, the pace and the minutia uh, and the things that often get overlooked when we talk about the Civil War era or Civil War prisons, uh, including right the, the sensory experiences, and so it was a useful uh, metaphor for the kind of the, the, the methodology and the approach and hopefully what I'm what I'm what I'm aiming to to get out of um, this sort of new look at at an old topic. So what, what brought you to this topic in the first place? Well, I, I've always had, I've had a, you know, an interest, you know, like, like so many of us have had an interest in the Civil War era for about as long as I can remember. Uh, the, it, but prisons had never been kind of on my radar. Right? It, was, it was one of the, 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 the frontiers as I saw it uh, when I was entering graduate school. Um, I was more familiar with, you know, with, with trying to, Want to want to find the experience of Civil War soldiers, uh, and you know I had given tours at this little museum called the Carter House in Franklin, Tennessee, and it, it was a peculiar battle. It was fought at night uh, for most most part, and and in telling that story, I had I had had to rely on you know explaining what does it mean to experience a battle in a basement in the pitch dark, right? So it's about the sounds. Uh, it's about the you know the, the, the vibrations, uh, and and when I when I was looking for you know, something that I could would sustain me through graduate school and, and that I would be excited about to to, to write a book on, uh, it, it occurred to me that I could I could merge this methodological approach and this interest in wanting to excavate the you know the, the feelings and the experiences of the Civil War era, uh, and 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 do do it in a a field or a subfield that it, it seemed to be overlooked uh, by you know, by the broader Civil War community. Not exclusively, of course, right? There's just, there are books out there and there are articles out there and there's debates out there about Civil War prisons. But relatively speaking, um, you know, it's it's there are a few topics in the Civil War that are uh, where there, ha- there there aren't a lot of books on already. It's, well, that is certainly the case. It is a challenge to find new things to write about. Um, 
Yeah, and that, it's interesting. You worked at Carter House. That, that uh, Franklin is a, a wonderful battlefield that has had a great renaissance in the last decade. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the challenge of finding a, a new topic is one thing, and the other one is finding a new approach, which I think you've certainly done here. We're going to take a short break as we get the show organized tonight and come back. And I want to, uh, when we come back, I'm, I'm going to start at the end and ask you about uh, what you write about in the epilogue of your book, your own experience at Andersonville. So we'll do that in just a moment. When we come back, our guest tonight, Evan A. Kutzler, is the author of Living by Inches, The Smells, Sounds, Tastes and Feeling of Captivity in Civil War Prisons. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. 
If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking tonight with Evan Kutzler, author of Living by Inches, The Smells, Sounds, Tastes, and Feeling of Captivity in Civil War Prisons. This is the 499th episode of Civil War Talk Radio. You'd think we would have all the bugs worked out by this time, and yet uh, you may have heard the notification sounds coming over Skype. If, If you use Skype at home, you know that they seem to modify it every three days or so with a new version that has some new wrinkle that requires adjusting and uh, it took a minute to get that squared away but there we are um, Evan I wanted to ask you I want to start where you end the book you, you write about visiting Andersonville and the impact that had on your approach to this topic uh, when did you go there why were you there and, and, and what happened well, the, the- piece I write about in my book was, it was in 2013 in August, uh, and I was visiting on a fellowship. I had uh, some money uh, from the, the Friends of Andersonville to, to, to do my dissertation research, uh, and, and so that, that brought me down there, and it was, it was, a, uh, it was a sensory experience in, in its own Right, right. Of at least of the 21st century, not of the uh, the 19th century, but um, but it was uh, interesting in itself. So you 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 compare it to McKinley Cantor, who talks in his novel Andersonville about visiting the site also, and how that inspired him to write in a certain way. Um, but you say in the introduction to your book that. When, when one does sensory history, uh, there's a temptation to think, well, this is a universal approach. Uh, we all see things, smell things, hear things, whether we're living in the 21st century or the 19th century uh, or, you know, the Middle Ages. So, you know, a smell is a smell. Uh, humans all perceive it the same way. But that's not what you say in the introduction to your book. You, you argue that there's... I'm not sure what the word is, a subjective quality to it uh, that changes over time? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, so, so sensory history as a field, you know, can study, you know, the long history of smell. How, to, how, to, how, to, how does smell change from one, cent- one century to the next, you know, among humanity? Now, of course, you know, the, 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 the biological nature of our sensory organs, right, that, that changes at a very slow pace, right? An evolutionarily mm-hmm. slow pace, but culture changes, right? We know that, you know, uh, one culture places a different value on certain attributes of taste, right? Of, of different ways of food preparation, right? What sounds like noise is, is you know, is, is ripe with age differences, right? Or class differences. Um, and, and, and this, so this, so that means that of course it, it is subjective. Uh, it means that it, that it's, it's like a fly paper for, for culture, for time, for place. So, you know, one, you know, the, the sensory history approach is to use the senses to try to explain, uh, a, a time 
in its own terms, not in, say, universal terms. So I'm, what, I'm, what sensory history is doing is something very different from saying trying to recreate you know, that authentic experience uh, that, that drives so much of uh, you know, reenacting or mm-hmm. some forms of public history. And I don't mean that just to, as, as, a, as a put down of, of reenacting or uh, mm-hmm. anyway, but it, they're different things. I think that's an interesting point because I know reenactors will talk about having the, you know, trying to get that moment when you think this is what it must have sounded like or smelled like or looked like or felt like. And the the challenge, of course, is that we can't know that fully or feel that fully uh, because things did sound and feel differently. Your, your comment about uh, how, how things sound different to different generations made me think of how the same people who when they were young had their parents go that rock music that's just noise now they're old people going that rap music that's just noise and uh who knows what uh the hip-hop generation will be saying to their kids in 30 years uh, so music is, is is relative in that sense let's talk about the civil war experience of, of these soldiers then um uh sound is as good a place to start as any the the uh you you write in different categories. You have chapters about sound and smell and so on. Um, so rather than, than proceed linearly, I just want to dive in and ask you about uh, what did Civil War prisons sound like to the people who were there? It's it's a cacophony, right? It's 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 noise, um, and and yet you know you can in reading through the diaries primarily also. Post-war memoirs, you know, it, it filters it through it as well. Um, you're you're hearing both a comment, you know, they'll they'll describe the noise, right? Noise when there should be silence, silence when there should be noise, right? So nights are incredibly noisy, right? There's never a you know, quiet moment uh, in, uh, in 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 prison, uh, or uh, you know, silence or relative silence on important holidays, right? For Union prisoners in the South, the Fourth of July is an all too quiet time, right? It's the lack of celebration, it's the lack of familiar sounds, or, uh, or Sundays. Um, that was one of the first things I, I, I discovered uh, in, in re- going, you know, trying to process a lot of handwritten diaries you know, relatively quickly on a grad student's budget, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> different, different places. Um, if, if a prisoner was likely to write about sound at all, they were likely to do. They were likely to, to begin on Sundays, right? They were likely to, to write something on Sundays about the the presence or the absence of bells, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, thing things that 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 reminded them of home, um, and, and and just be, just the presence or the absence of bells didn't necessarily mean that it was a good or a bad day, right? This the sound of a bell, you know, the calling sound to uh, to attend religious services. Sounds very differently to someone who knows that that sound is not calling for them. It's in fact calling for the people who they hold as enemies. Uh, and so it's it's you know it's part of the emotion. Listening is very closely tied to the emotional experience of being a prisoner of war. Um, this also affects you know the uh, it, it's part it's part of it's the passage of time. All days sound alike, uh, including Sundays. There's 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 not the, the same rhythm. Uh, that comes uh, uh, in, in civilian life or even in, in, in army life. 
Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's part of the you know, cycles, uh, what I call the cycles of hope and despair, right? Rumors, you know, there, there's different kind of cat- subcategories of, of, of things that, that prisoners are listening for, right? They're, uh, they're listening for hope. Uh, they're listening for news that's, that filters down through, you know, oral networks and through smuggled newspapers that are read aloud, uh, hoping, on, you know, hoping on hope for new information about uh, some change that might send them home. Um, and, 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 there's, and they're often disappointed, but that doesn't mean they stop listening. Yeah, when you, just, you say prisoners, uh, specifically not northern or southern prisoners, and throughout the book, you take this approach that the prison experience is an experience it, uh, not defined by where it's happening. That is, uh, you, you have a lot of examples from both northern and southern prisons. Uh, are there distinct differences, or were you more taken by the the, the universality of the experience? Both, right? So there there are there are similar similarities. Uh, Throughout, right? They're, they're, they're northern and southern prisoners are, are are using the senses to give meaning to their experiences. Now, they often come to different conclusions about what that means, but there but there are similarities, right? They they they, they use the senses to create these narratives about uh, mistreatment, right, or about privation. Um, so, you know, I, and, and I, I I was con I was. Concerns, you know, in, in writing the book about about suggesting too much parody, right? And, and so I, I, I try to be clear that I'm not saying that Johnson's Island is is the same thing as 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 Andersonville, uh, just because the prisoners are writing about you know the the the, the, the somber you know the the, uh, uh, the experience of night in similar ways. Um, they're 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 not. Um, but the ways in which they're crafting these narratives are the same, right? The, the, the modes through which they're, they're describing and they're, they're, they're giving meaning to their experiences is, 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 is the same. One of the things that is most striking about the experience in your account, and, and probably any of us who've read anything about a Civil War prison uh, know this gets commented on, is the smell. Uh, the... How uh, that's such a big topic. Let, let, you talk about the importance of noses. Um, that that the nose itself is significant. It reminded me of uh, Kenneth Greenberg talking about uh, uh, the pulling of noses as a, a class, uh, a particular insult in in the nineteenth century South. Um, uh, t- talk about the nose. So the nose was. You know, considered to be the sentinel of the body. It was uh, like what we might consider a, like a carbon monoxide or a smoke detector today for, for the body. That was to warn the body of uh, dangerous particles in the atmosphere, right? The, the miasma, right? The foul air, um, you know, that would, that would, it was the, the understood to be the embodiment of disease that uh, could make the body sick. Um, and so there's, there's, there's this kind of, multidimensional quality to the nose. On the one hand, prisoners want to be able to, to, to note the difference between fresh air and, and, and foul air, right? And they, and they rely on this um, in the same way that we, or similar ways to the way that we, you know, think about germs, right? And we, we but today we kind of, we, we think of them as these, 
these little invisible or, or microscopical particles, right? The, the, the metaphor in the 19th century was odor. Um, so that, you know, the, the experience of smell is directly related to the experience of, 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 of disease and the specter of disease. Um, and, and so, and, and on the other hand, you know, 19th century Americans were quite aware that the, that the nose could become overwhelmed, right? Febreze calls this nose blindness, right? They didn't call it nose blindness, <laughs> but, uh, they, but they were aware that, yet they, you know, that strong odors, uh, would would eventually dull the the, the, uh, the nose, and there was kind of an uncertainty about whether or not this was kind of merciful, uh, or whether it was like becoming blind. Right? It was that it was you know kind of killing off the sentinel that was you know uh, protecting the body, uh, and and you you find you know the most articulate prisoners will will write about it in those terms. I'm not saying that every Civil War prisoner would 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 write about it in quite in that same way, but um, you know, the, the, the ones who seemed to close to, to, to understand kind of the sanitarian mindset the best uh, wrote about it in, in those ways. And so did prison guards and prison officials, right? The, uh, there's, there's a lot of efforts in particularly northern prisons uh, to, to deodorize uh, the landscape, right, as a way to try to kind of improve the public health landscape of, of the prison by, by fighting off foul odors. Um, and this could take the form of, of you know, uh, of, of actual deodorizing agents like, uh, like lime, right, that's put inside uh, privies. Uh, it could be put in water and turned into a whitewash uh, that's, that's painted on buildings. There's a visual aspect of that, right? White is white means, you know, clean. That's why doctors wear, you know, white, uh, <laughs> uh, white clothing. Um, and, but it's, it's made of the exact same substance that they're, that they're using to, to fight smell in, in privies uh, as, as well. And so there's, you know, it, it's, you're right that it's a big question. Uh, you know, it connects with public health and it, it kind of worms, its smell kind of worms its way into all sorts of different aspects of um, the Civil War prison experience, both as a prisoner um, and as a imprisoner, right? The uh, the idea of, of the smells wearing away the prisoner's ability to to sense them, uh, I thought was interesting, uh, especially as a as a historical a matter of historical technique. Uh, I, I was fascinated with how you detected a prisoner becoming less sensitive to smells over time. Uh, because they, they don't write down, oh, I don't smell stuff anymore. But they, but how did you tease that out? Right. You, know, you, you can't make an argument from an absence of, of, of evidence, right? So there's, <laughs> there's um, you know, the, in, in, I, I started with the most perceptive prisoners, and I noticed that there was a pattern. Uh, Will, uh, William Wilkins was, was the per, first you know, source that kind of turned me on to this, this idea that he starts off, very explicit, right? He's he, he, talking about the, you know, the, the, he thinks the, the, the foul smells are going are going to to kill him, um, and then he's, he starts writing about it in, in in less direct ways, right? It's not it's not the, the the odor as kind of taking up a a physical presence in the room, um, but it's the atmosphere, right? We're kind of one step off from that, and then you know he, he might he remarks on it 
he remarks on the absence of smell when he go or the fresh air uh, when he gets outside on a on a detail to go collect firewood, right? And then he but then he stops writing about it at all until he leaves prison. But one of the first things he writes is fresh air tastes delicious, right? So uh, he uh, he you know he he starts off it's every day, then it's every week, and then it's not at all. Um, and so this is you know and, and, and this is a process of deodorization that tending towards anosmia or that, that nose blindness. It's a great technique to tease stuff like that out by. We're going to take another short break. We'll come back, talk more with Evan Kutzler, author of Living by Inches, The Smells, Sounds, Tastes, and Feeling of Captivity in Civil War Prisons. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Attention, if you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Evan A. Kutzler, author of Living by Inches, The Smells, Sounds, Tastes, and Feeling of Captivity in Civil War Prisons. The... In uh, in her book, The Gentleman and the Roughs, Lorian Foote talks about how the uh, Union Army had very clear class differences, uh, middle and upper class officers, and enlisted for that matter, held themselves apart or recognized themselves as different from working class and, and uh, poorer members of the Army. And that really comes out in your chapter on insects, on, on vermin, bugs. Um, uh, how, how did, it seems like insects will bite anybody. How, how, did, how did lice reflect class? 
Well, because when everyone is lousy, right, you, you have mm-hmm. to distinguish where did that come from. And so, you know, the, the, the way, uh, one of the ways of, of telling that story, right, if you're a prisoner of war, is to say that it, you know, that it comes from someone else. So, you know, the, it's, it's coming from the, the rabble of the, the other prisoners. Um, and this is a, that's something that started outside of captivity, right? That, that is mm-hmm. apparent in the, in the army as, as well. And that's something that, uh, that uh, uh, Lorian writes about as, as well. Um, the, in, in captivity, there's, there's, a, there's a shift that seems to take place. Uh, one of the one of the kind of sub arguments I'm trying to make in that chapter is I don't think that lice was as universally prevalent in Civil War armies as kind of the general consensus has been. Um, because first write about it as though it's, it's a, a fairly it's a, that it's a new phenomenon, right? It, it, it's, it's it's written as a prison experience by by people who have been in the army for quite some time. And I, I don't think that's in, you know 100% the case, right? There, it's not at, they're not as prevalent outside, or there are strategies that are used, uh, delousing strategies that are used that seem to work when you know soldiers are campaigning, or whether whether they're, whether in kind of winter quarters that no longer seem to work in captivity because of just the sheer sheer number of people, because of the privation and so forth. So what happens? Is this symbol of uncleanliness, right? Immoral uncleanliness and, and low class that was pretty universally understood, I believe, in 1860, uh, had to be shifted. There had to be a, kind of some, some room made for how do you how do you show that you are in fact a clean, morally upstanding person in a place where everyone else is is is, is facing these, this pressure of uncleanliness. And so this, this ritual of, that, that soldiers will write about too, to, to, to a certain extent as well, uh, outside of captivity, of publicly delousing one's clothing, right, or one's hair, uh, be, became something that you know, pr- prisoners became ashamed not to do. Uh, because publicly you know, cleaning yourself of lice once or twice a day showed that you were keeping the lice in check. And they and they they changed all sorts of uh, they changed the language to to match this as well. They they rarely called it delousing. Right? They called it skirmishing. Right? They turned mm-hmm. it in. Uh, they, they used martial metaphors uh, to you know, humanizing the lice, uh, while at the same time making something that was disgusting something sound, sound more civilized. Uh, so you know the, the distinction then between those who were maintaining their grip on civility and those who weren't was those who, who weren't delousing enough or were doing it too much, right? Who had become overrun by, by, by the lice. And so, but there's this gray area where, where people who wanted to find themselves as being, you know, members of the washed class uh, are, are able to, 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 to situate themselves. And I mean, washing oneself was perhaps more prevalent than than Hollywood might suggest. Uh, certainly, in in upper middle upper class uh, families, people did bathe regularly, change clothes regularly, and they did not have lice when they were uh, before the war. 
so so this really is a, a break with their previous existence. That's that's right. Yeah. So the uh, the other thing, the, the weapon you point out that the soldiers use against lice is humor. Uh, the Richmond Prison Association, with their coat of arms, uh, with decorated with lice all the way around them. Right. Uh, Forty-two lice, to be precise. <laughs> in, 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 you know, encircling the phrase "bite and be damned." Uh, so right, so it's, it's, it's using humor. You know, lice go from something that is, you know, deeply shameful to the point that prisoners are, are you know, at least one prisoner I found was, you know, maybe joking about thoughts of suicide uh, mm. to something that is funny and normalized right that's a that's a pretty big transition that has to take place pretty quickly and so that's what i'm that's what i was trying to to tease out there uh in in that chapter now the other big preoccupation that soldiers have uh and we all know this reading memoirs and letters and diaries uh they have it whether they're in prison or not but it's a lot worse in prison is food uh and here again, uh, you talk about class differences as well as uh, uh, just the experience of not having enough to eat. Uh, the, the kind of food makes a difference. Sure, um, you know, and, and there's food is, is is one of those areas where again, there's it's probably one of the areas where the comparison between northern and southern experiences. Is 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 not uh, it's not close. Um, there there are some similarities in terms of the differences among prisoners. So so Confederate prisoners in the North, if they're of the officer class, they consistently eat better, right? Than uh, mem- than, than enlisted men, and and the same is true in the South. But um, you know, second to the weather. Uh, you know that, that what what uh, what someone ate is probably the most commonly written about uh, subject of a of, of a prisoner of war, um, and there's and it, it, it changes over time, right? That it, 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 food is one of the last things in, in these little pocket diaries that that tended to fall out of mention at all, right? It it, it might start off filling the page with their thoughts about the smells and you know the, the sounds and their their hopes and their fears. And by the end, they might just be writing if they ate that day. Um, and so that's something that is, you know, that's meaningful, right? If you're, you know, a, a prisoner who is you know, slowly dying of uh, scurvy or of, 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 you know, they call it starvation, right? It's might, we might call it, or the, you know, an outsider might call it chronic diarrhea or dysentery. Um, you know, the fact that that's one of the last things that, that, that a prisoner is writing about is, is, I think, you know, useful kind of following into the weeds uh, as to kind of what did that mean to that individual uh, in, in that time and place. Well, you point out that while there are certainly differences uh, in North and South, and, and the North did have the capability and uh, in some cases the will also to feed uh, its prisoners better, you, you say there were two things that, that you found common to all these experiences, one you just mentioned, that it got worse over time uh, in, in both sides. But the other is that hunger was a decivilizing force. What do you mean by that? So things that had previously been considered inedible, right, might be considered edible. Um, so, you know, prisoners are, are eating 
uh, sometimes food that's raw or that's that that's under that's undercooked. Um, there, there's a, there's an emotional elements of it of of being more willing you know, to steal from one another. Right? It's one thing to, to you know, soldiers outside of captivity are pretty good at, at being able to feed themselves. Uh, this is something that, that, that Joan Cashin, I think, is uh, 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 was just just reading her book War Stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, all kind of my inclinations about this transition from wartime experiences outside of prison to in, inside prisons was kind of confirmed in, in that book. That you know, but once someone who is has, has been able to more or less feed themselves in freedom uh, is put into captivity, it's a zero sum game. So you know, it's hunger that's driving it's driving a lot of theft. It's driving selfishness. It's driving, you know, this is it's pushing prisoners away from one another, right? There's not this sense of, of we're all in this together. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting over, uh, over, over cornmeal at times. Uh, now sometimes they're, they're also kind of coming together and finding, you know, solutions for, you know, how to, how to cook with an absence of, you know, how do you drink coffee without coffee, right? You, 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 you brown it, uh, you brown some cornmeal uh, and dip it in water, uh, boil it, you know, and, and it kind of sort of tastes like coffee, right? Sometimes there's, there's creative endeavors that come out of this. Um, and other times it's, you know, it pushes prisoners uh, against one another as well. The, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mary Gorman was on the show. Uh, she's written a book under the name Gary Morgan about the Andersonville Raiders and the execution of uh, prisoners by other prisoners because they were doing just what you described, uh, killing one another or stealing from one another. Now, you mentioned corn cornbread. Uh, this is one of those things where, where you do show a bright line between North and South. Uh, Northern soldiers thought cornbread was, was not food. Not food, uh, sometimes described as slave food. Right, seen as, uh, as as something that was was beyond kind of what uh, you a a, a, a you know a quote unquote civilized person should eat. Um, in fact, it was so much you know so, so believed that you know there's there's fear that that cornmeal that this, you know, it's, we're not talking about the nice cornmeal you get you know at at your local grocery store that you're making cornbread out of. Right. You know, this, this is it's coarse. It's got you know parts of you know the the, 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 the holes kind of ground up in it, mm-hmm. and it would, you know, imagine, uh, especially a, a southern prison where the, the the big killer isn't a big communicable disease, but it's slow, you know, chronic diarrhea right, or dysentery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's stomach complaints, and so they're, 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 prisoners can can make the connection right that what they're eating is coarse. And their insides are being feeling like they're being torn apart, and so they're you know they're not thinking in terms of microorganisms; they're thinking in terms of what they're putting into their body. Um, and so there's this fear that what they're eating is is doing the opposite of what food is supposed to do. It's not nourishing; it's innervating, right? It's it's wearing down. Um, it's it's leading to this the sickness and to the weight loss and to the slow death. That's why. You know, I, I used to I, when I worked at the worked at Andersonville as a, as a seasonal park ranger uh, before I got my, my my teaching job, and the the, the distinction between you know, dysentery and starvation seems like it's a it's it's a, it's a you know pretty big gap. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the difference between whether you're on the inside of of 
that stockade or the outside, right? It's not to say that one is, is, is right and one is wrong, but it, it reveals the perspective from which one is experiencing it. Um, the, uh, the, the experience you had both as a seasonal park ranger there and your, your few days spent essentially alone at Andersonville uh, on a research trip, I, I think really do show a powerful influence in this book. Uh, we are unfortunately right at the deadline of the show, and I use that word because you make the interesting point that uh, at Andersonville, as we all know, that was the line you didn't cross or you'd be dead. Uh, but we use it today informally to mean uh, just, hey, we're out of time uh, or something is due. And uh, unfortunately, we are out of time here on Civil War Talk Radio. But I learned a lot from uh, living by inches, the smells, sounds, tastes, and feeling of captivity in Civil War prisons. It's definitely uh, part of, uh, at the cutting edge of where Civil War history is going, the application of sensory history techniques to a topic we already think we know a lot about. Um, So listeners, I think you will find this a very interesting book. Devin, I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for being on Civil War Talk Radio. My pleasure. And listeners, as always, stay safe, flatten the curve, and thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.